Hello and welcome to Sticky from the Inside, the employee engagement podcast that looks at how to build stickier, competition-smashing, consistently successful organisations from the inside out. I'm your host, Andy Gorham, and I'm on a mission to help more businesses turn the lights on behind the eyes of their employees, light the fires within them, and create tons more success for everyone. This podcast is for all those who believe that's something worth going after and would like a little help and guidance in achieving that. Each episode, we dive into the topics that can help create what I call stickier businesses, the sort of businesses where people thrive and love to work and where more customers stay with you and recommend you to others because they love what you do and why you do it. So if you want to take the tricky out of being sticky, listen on. Okay then, one of the four enablers of employee engagement as proven by the research paper Engage for Success written by David McLeod and Nita Clark 10 or 11 years ago in the UK is employee voice. It's concerned with making sure employees feel that they have a voice that's listened to and heard within their organisation. It's a simple enough concept to get your head around. If an employee feels like they're able and encouraged to speak up, give feedback, contribute to discussion and influence what goes on in the business, they are more likely to be engaged and therefore more likely to bring their best self, effort and ideas to the party every day. Now, the most common form of gathering this employee feedback is through some sort of engagement survey or a series of pulse surveys that check in with how employees are feeling. There are, of course, many more ways to gather data from employees, but it's not so much what you gather but what we do with it that counts. Now, in my experience, one of the saddest things I see is when companies have given employees their opportunity to be listened to, the employees then step forward and are brave and share their honest opinions and feedback, but then they hear nothing back from the leadership team on what was said or what will likely happen as a result of their feedback. The knock-on effect of this is that the next time employees are going to be far less likely to share what they're really thinking and they'll begin to mistrust the business's intentions with all these questions. The key is to really move from employee listening to involving action taking. But how do you do that effectively? Well, with me today is Kevin Campbell. Kevin is an employee data scientist for Qualtrics and is hugely passionate about doing people analytics better and making more of and doing more with the data that can be gathered from your employees. So he's the perfect partner for today's discussion on getting better at employee analytics. Welcome to the show, Kevin. Thank you for having me, Andy. Great to have you here, my friend. Look, I am no data scientist, but I do love a bit of data. So I'm really looking forward to this conversation today. Can you do us a quick favor, Kevin? Can you just give us a sort of a brief introduction to you and what you're doing and perhaps what you're really focused on right now? Yeah, yeah. So I'm an employee experience scientist at Qualtrics, and my goal is to help Qualtrics customers identify and close gaps in the employee experience as quickly as possible and in ways that ultimately help them improve their business goals and their business outcomes. So yes, improving the employee experience for the sake of employee uh, improving the employee experience and connecting that back to business outcomes like customer metrics, operational metrics, and ultimately the profitability and success of the business overall. 
so my background is as an organizational psychologist. Uh, I'm a recovering consultant. So I was uh, <laughs> with uh, the Gallup organization for a bit with uh, with Deloitte as a human capital consultant. Um, and I've, I've done my own independent thing for a while. And, and now I'm here at Qualtrics. So um, really excited about this topic because, yeah, the data is everywhere. Uh, there's there's no no shortage of information or data that we can tap into. Uh, but you really said it best um, uh, around this idea of employee voice, um, because, you know, there's there's employee engagement in the the sense of what employee engagement has come to mean, meaning this idea of, of giving extra discretionary effort and and feeling psychologically and emotionally connected to the organization. But that word engagement also has another meaning being engaged in what you're doing. You know, if you have an engaging conversation or if you're listening to an engaging lecturer, there's usually some sort of involvement mm. in your part. I think there's not just a, a common word in these two concepts of engagement, but I think there's also a relationship, both theoretically and uh, according to the the, the data, uh, of how we can connect both those things. I, I believe that when employees are engaged, meaning involved in, in setting the agenda for the organization, driving improvements in the organization, they will also become engaged in that other sense of the word as well. Uh, and I love what you said about employee voice. And I think it's, it is employee voice. And it's, it's that, that step of, of not just having and expressing that voice and doing something with it, being actively involved in solving problems and, and moving the business forward. I think that's, really well observed I, I i think the word engagement can get misused misunderstood conflated with lots of other things and whenever i speak to data guys about this you know there's lots of different schools of thought around it you know i come from the perspective i guess that engagement's an outcome you know it's a product of a number of things but i really love the fact that you talk about involvement participation and connection because i think there's also and maybe this is where businesses have driven it. And who knows whether we'll get into this or not. But maybe businesses also bring in this word alignment. So actually to be engaged, you've got to be aligned to everything we're talking about. And as is often challenged towards me, well, engagement can be, I don't agree with that. I have a slightly different view to that. But I'm engaged in the conversation. I care passionately about what happens. You know, does that mean I'm not engaged because I'm not aligned? I mean, now we start to sort of dig into some rabbit holes that we might want to dig into but what's what's your thoughts on that whole thing i love that i love that because you know i think there's i, I agree that alignment is a goal um but i think there's a lot of different ways that you can get to that alignment um it can be a cascade or it can be a top down it could be a bottom up or it can be a both and uh, and I think what the the research has come to show us, and and we've probably experienced this ourselves from our own personal experience in, in business and in life, that the the all around form of alignment tends to be stickier, mm. ah. <laughs> uh, to be more engaging uh, than than the than the top down or even the bottom up. Um, and this was a, a an interesting research thread. Um, that, you know, there were, there were two camps of, of org psych researchers, one that found that it didn't matter whether the employee or the manager set the goals when it came to, to, to goal commitment and goal alignment. Mm -hmm. And another one who, who found consistently that another group of researchers that found consistently that, um, it was only when the employee, um, had a hand in setting the goals that you had that those same levels of, of commitment and alignment. 
And they did something that is actually quite rare in, in academia. They, they did a um, rival collaboration where they're like, hey, we trust that you're not making this up. There's something in what you're finding. Let's collaborate to find out what's the moderator or the mediator of why we're coming up with this, this, uh, these different findings. And what they found was that it's not enough just to tell employees what their goals are. You have to sell them on those goals, or you have to collaboratively create them with the employee. So, you know, when it goes back to this idea of alignment, uh, are you trying to dictate alignment or are you trying to create alignment? And I, I think a great way of creating alignment is to involve and engage people in what that is. And this has this has real world positive consequences for businesses. I mean, I, I was working with a a large tech company that has a, a manufacturing arm in China, as, as many do. Uh, and uh, they found that there was product that was leaving the factory line um, or, or boxes, rather, that were leaving the factory line without any product inside of them. Wow. So you can imagine that this this would cost a lot of money because then things would get returned and all this stuff, right? So they were going to hire a team of consultants, uh, uh, an untold amount of money to fix this problem through logistics and, and maybe some, some uh, robot process automation. But uh, somebody had a stroke of genius and said, well, let's take this problem back to the front line and figure out what, what their solution might be. And their solution was a $5 fan <laughs> because you set up the fan on the line. And if a box with no product goes through, the fan will Brilliant. knock the box off of the line. <laughs> so, so, you know, there are real world business implications for actually going back and involving. And not only has that solved and uh, that, that problem and saved them uh, probably quite a bit of money, um, but, you know, the person that had the idea or the team that had the idea to implement that solution, they're going to stick around. They're going to feel like they're they're a lot more vested in the, the interest and the outcome of that organization. I love that story. The $5 fan story will live with me forever. I, I, I think this whole thing about listening to employees is far more than tell us what you think about our values or tell us what you think about the organization goals. Answers to problems are, are sitting at desks, right? Are mm. sitting on the line, as you've just sort, just sort of said. No one ever asked. There's some horrible stats. I'll get the numbers wrong, so I won't even bother. But the number of people who come to work with the intention of sharing their best effort and ideas, but no one ever asks them, so they never surrender them. Or they never offer them up. They're never given the opportunity. And I just think that's a sad, sad thing. Um, well, well, stats from, from Qualtrics actually says that about 90% of organizations have some sort of employee listening program, but only 7% of employees feel that their employer is very good at taking action right. on that feedback, right. which is almost worse than, than not asking at all in some instances, right? Of, of, you know, asking for feedback, but then not doing anything with it. I think that's the thing. I mean, I've sort of mentioned it in the intro. I mean, can you think of anything worse than being asked a question you answer and then no one responds to your answer, right? In a, in a conversation, if that happened in a conversation, you'd think, what, what? I'm not going to speak to you again. You, you ignorant swine, you. You know, you're not going to have that conversation. Why should it be any different with employees and organizations chatting? You know, if I'm, if I'm good enough to give you an answer, you might not like my answer, but at least respond, right? At least tell me uh, why we don't agree or what you're going to do as a result or what you're not going to do as a result. I think that's just as important. And maybe that gives us an in to the sort of first area that 
be good to try and maybe have a look at from your perspective, Kevin, is when we think about the opportunity that talking to, talking with, listening to employees gives us, what do you see from your, let's be honest, fantastic position working for a business like Qualtrics with the range of businesses that you end up working with? What are people missing out on? And what do you see as the, the causal effects or causal reasons as to why they're missing out on that stuff? Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think they're they're missing out on closing the loop, um, and they're they're leaving money on the table, and they're leaving opportunities to engage employees on the table by by not thinking about how do you begin with the end in mind around what decisions are you looking to make, what actions are you willing to take as a result of the different channels that you have for collecting people analytics, and and more specifically gathering employee feedback. So beginning with the end in mind around, I'll give you an example from, from a, 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 another company that I'm working with, mm. a quick service restaurant location. They, they uh, serve burritos and tacos and things like this. They have uh, about a thousand locations and they're looking to triple to 3000 locations within 18 months. Wow. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, now, now there's, there's a lot that goes into planning that kind of an expansion. One of the findings that they have is that only about a third of their managers feel like they're fully enabled to do their job. Oh, wow. So think about what the consequences of that expansion are going to be and and what the demands on your talent are going to be as a result of that expansion. So the the reason I, I, I give that example is that if you're not marrying employee feedback with the decisions that you're making as a business and how you decide to allocate resources or what things you decide to do, then you're really just kind of listening for the sake of listening. Yeah. Uh, and you're, you're satisfying your curiosity for, for interesting pictures and graphs and, and insight into what's happening in the business. But you really want to translate that insight into something that's going to, going to help you achieve your ultimate goal. Um, and I think this this isn't just at the organizational level. In, in fact, I think it's it's even more important at the manager and team and perhaps even the individual level to, to start to empower, enable, and um, enroll your managers in the idea that like, hey, this isn't something that leadership and HR are, are only responsible for because those things, those organization-wide opportunities and actions can take six months. They can take a year. Yeah. They can take several years. Meanwhile, the employees who whose feedback is actually being acted upon might not see the connection between the feedback they gave and the things that are happening. Whereas on the team level, the individual level, the manager level, you can take action on that feedback within a week mm. or, or sooner. You can start, start adjusting your behavior right away uh, and have both of those closed loop cycles happening at the same time where you have the quick feedback loops happening at the team level, but then you also have those structural, systemic, organizational things happening. And um, I think the biggest miss is when organizations focus on one aspect of that to the detriment of the other. Um, so really building that ability to, to think about both of these loops in tandem mm. and how you can empower the people that are working with that data to be able to make those improvements. Have you seen or witnessed any kind of like major problems with not listening as effectively like you're talking and not kind of linking 
the feedback to, to actions, I guess, living on assumption or misreading the data or whatever it might be, because I think this is a really important thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, so one example, an example of overemphasizing on the team level mm. and not and not acting on um, the organizational level, you know, uh, a poor practice is having some sort of formulaic uh, compensation system where a specific dollar amount, especially a large dollar amount, is tied back to specific managers and the employee engagement scores of their teams. Okay. <laughs> Um, I, I agree that there's a, a space for being able to incentivize people around these things or, or looking at scores as part of a, a holistic scorecard. But when you start to create formulas mm. around if your score is X, you get Y bonus. Wow. That tends to lead to um, behaviors that jeopardize the, the whole point of your program. Um, it could be as innocuous or seemingly innocuous as saying, hey, we're going to have a, a an employee party. Uh, the day of the the survey release, and oh, by the way, while you're you know having a having a drink and, and enjoying your pizza, you know, go ahead and, and fill out the survey, right? Um, that's going to skew the results, obviously. You reckon? Yeah, <laughs> but, but but not not to uh, the the same degree that that a manager saying, "Hey, you better give me five out of five for everything, or I'm going down and I'm taking you with me." Yeah, yeah. Or or, or I'll split my bonus with you if you just go ahead and give us all fives, right? Um, and what that could end up doing is just jeopardizing the integrity of the whole program. So I think that's one element of, of overemphasizing that. You know, I worked with a, a large financial institution that was um, in the news for some, some bad behavior. Mm. And they didn't pick up on that bad behavior in their employee survey. And part of it had to do with the fact that they were over incentivizing managers to have good results. Oh, wow. So- uh, there was a lot of reasons that that all went down, but that was one one avenue that they could have had for getting ahead of that program. Mm -hmm. um, that they that they and an opportunity that was missed because they they treated this data like an exam, right? They they treated it like a, a scorecard uh, um, that you were keeping points like in a a, a, a game of sport rather than thinking of it like the speedometer on your car right. or the number of steps on your Fitbit, right? It's like one is thinking about this information as a way of keeping score and ultimately determining a person's worth or ability as a manager. Mm. Another one is looking at this information as data that you use to adjust your behavior and improve. Um, and I, I think that's a good lens to think yeah. about it. Like, are you, are you, giving people enough grace uh, to be able to help them look at that data in a way that it feels like it's not a checkup or, or a, a carrot or a stick, but, but it's a, a way of monitoring the health of your organization, the health of your team and a leading indicator of how you're doing as a manager. No, I think that's really, really useful. I mean, I think this whole emphasis that you're, that you're bringing to today's conversation is obviously about taking action right taking meaningful action at the back of, at the back of data and i think the sort of things that you've highlighted there bad things or sort of like poor practices loads of people fall into that into that category right oh we've we, we got the numbers therefore that's what we'll do we we'll stick to that rather than thinking about it as a progression piece looking through the windscreen and looking at the dashboard at the same time rather than just 
honking out the, the rear view mirror of what's happened in the past. Oh, well, we're better than last month. Brilliant. Well, this month I want to be better. Yeah, but how? Why? <laughs> what's the drivers behind all of that? But conversely, you must see and you must have some great clients that you work with who are really making the most of listening and taking action. Have you got some examples of people that are really kind of like making your heart sing as a data guy with how they're using their data? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so both from, both from and I think there's two parts to this, right? One is the the systems and tools and analytics that you use organizationally. And then the other part is the enablement that you have for, for managers and leaders to be able to take, take action. Um, so uh, I'll start with the first one. Um, and go, going back to this idea that, that you had mentioned around uh, overemphasizing the numbers yeah. rather than thinking about what the numbers are actually measuring. Um, because what happens if if all your scores start to come in at 90%? Right. right. Does that mean you just rest on your laurels? Oh, we're done. No, <laughs> we're done. Yay. Declare victory. <laughs> Everyone's walk, walk, walking around in a state of perpetual bliss, right? We have completed business. Well done. <laughs> Excellent finish. What's next? Yeah. Yeah. So, so some IO psychs on the, um, uh, the Google analytics team actually came up with a, with a new analysis that I recommend everyone check out. Mm. Um, and if I can find the link, I'll, I'll shoot it over to you. So you can include it in the the, the podcast description. Brilliant. This is my work. This is work that was done by other uh, really brilliant organizational psychologists, um, working at Google that are, are, are now at different firms, but this has started to be adopted by different firms as well called a heartbeat analysis. Mm-hmm. So I'm not going to get into the weeds of what it is, but if you if you look at when someone responds to a survey, um, you're going to have sort of an average for that person, right? So you know you might I, I might go through and on average my typical response might be a four out of five, the 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 agree versus the strongly agree. Mm-hmm. Um, but if I go in and I respond strongly disagree to an to an item. That one deviation from from my a- average, that that high standard deviation, mm-hmm. um, should count for something. Yeah. So what it allows you to do is to say, okay, even though you're at ninety percent for a particular item, where are those those places where there's those real outliers where people feel extremely satisfied with a particular thing or extremely dissatisfied with a particular thing? Because you might have eighty percent. But you, there might be pockets within your organization. Sure. And the reason this is important is because, you know, you really want to dig into those pockets um, uh, of where there's there's those outliers. Because sometimes the average is almost meaningless, yeah. right? When, once you get to a few thousand employees, especially, there, there's there's really not an organizational culture at that point. There's pockets of culture within yes, the organization. Yes, that's so true. Uh, another great example is, um, you know, this, this emphasis on thinking of any kind of of, uh, employee feedback as a tool and an input for manager development, right? So how are you not thinking of this just as a a way of making decisions organizationally or or getting kind of a, a read of the temperature of the organization, but how do you create relevant and tailored leadership development and manager development interventions based upon the feedback that that individual leader or manager has 
both from employees and maybe from from customers or, or um, uh, external customers or internal customers. Um, you know, I worked with one organization. It was a financial services organization that had a bunch of bank branches. And as part of their their way of taking action, every single one of those bank branch managers had an hour long coaching conversation with a people scientist um, who, who also was skilled in coaching to look at their their data, look at their employee data, look at their 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 customer data, look at their own psychographic uh, information from from talent assessments, and and put all of those things together in a tailored plan wow. that those branch managers can can use to to move their business forward. Um, and it was done as part of the action planning process that was done with the annual survey. But this was not just you know, a check the box action planning thing sure. this was like, Hey, where do you want to go with your branch? Where do you want to go with the business that you manage within this larger organization? And how can you use this information to help you get where you want to go as a leader? So let's not even, let's not start with looking at all the data from these different sources. Let's start with what are your business goals? What are your personal professional development goals? And how can we use uh, these, these data sources as an input to help you get where you want to go? Wow. So I think Another great practice. That's great. I mean, I'm sitting here because I listen. I, I like data. I enjoyed doing it for a brief period of time. I ran a data department, which is just I, they must have just run out of people um, to, to to kind of do that. And but I'm listening and, and to what you're saying about this this last bank example. I'm like, how do you present that data in a way that is really conducive to a, a Wally like me kind of understanding it and really being able to take it forward because it sounds like there could be just so much in there. I guess presenting that in a kind of easily consumable and meaningful way is, well, that's that's where you guys are, <laughs> earn, your, earn your corn, right? Yeah. How do you go about doing that? I love that question. Um, and it, it could be just a small tweak in the way that we use language to talk about this. Uh-huh. Um, whether it's with customer data or employee data, um, you know, rather than saying your net promoter score, you know, yeah. which is a metric that, that's used in the customer world, your net promoter score is 50. Mm-hmm. Right? It's more powerful to say you have twice as many customers that are willing to recommend your business as customers that aren't willing to recommend your business. Right. It's the same information. Yeah. You're just phrasing it a different way. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if the math checks out on that on MPS scores. So, so don't. Oh, yeah. We'll take it. <laughs> There's no passives. There's no passives. It's fine. We're not talking about or, or, passives. Or, or rather than saying you know, <laughs> the engagement score is 80%, yeah. why not say 80% of our employees are showing up every day, willing to give extra discretionary effort and go above and beyond in their job and are emotionally and psychologically committed to this organization, right? Or, or your retention scores are 20%. Well, only 20% of your highest performing salespeople intend to stay here more than two years, yeah. right? Like it, it's the same information, but rather than putting, instead of putting the number, putting the person, the human at the center um, allows us to put it in context and it gives it gives that emotional resonance. 100%, that contextual language just, is all the stuff people are trying to work through in their head when they look at a number. And a lot of people look at the number and go, okay, I'm at 80%. And that comes back to your transactional approach to numbers before. I'm at 80 this month. I was at 78 last month. That's eh, the same. Okay, fine, move on. Right, where you're kind of using this contextual language, I really like that because that that helps people kind of really understand on a real base level about what it's doing, but the impact that it's having. 
And we're all about thinking about the impact on this stuff, right? I can't help myself thinking about what we started to talk about at the beginning of this program, but employee engagement and listening. I mentioned in the intro the, the annual survey or even a pulse survey, and that's the kind of the raison d'etre of doing employee listening. But what's your view? Are, you, are we just sleepwalking through it, or are we, are we really kind of like starting to make some headway with it? I think there's a continuum okay. of, of folks that are, are sleepwalking through it and people that are, are making headway with it. Um, and, and there's a couple of, of guidelines that we can think about for, for being able to, to improve that within your organization and especially for your leaders and managers. Um, one thing I will say is that, you know, there's go back to this idea of listening, being a conversation. Mm. Um, and, you know, it, it'd be odd, as you'd mentioned, it'd be odd to, to ask somebody for their feedback, ask them a question, then do nothing with that inform- information yeah. response. <laughs> It would also be odd if you were to have a relationship with someone where they're the only ones that initiate the conversation. Uh, so so is is there employee-initiated opportunities for being able to provide feedback and provide information? So uh, it could be as simple as having a QR code uh, in, the, in the kitchen and in the bathroom where if there's a problem, you can go ahead and initiate um, a conversation with, with with someone that can take action on that. Mm-hmm. Or if you're interacting with an IT system or a piece of software that is important for you as an employee to do your job, is there an intercept where you can uh, channel that information back to the right person? Yeah. Um, so those are important things to keep in mind. Like you want it to be a two-way conversation and you don't want that conversation to be dictated by the calendar. Uh, sometimes you need it to be dictated by the event or, or the, it, the interaction that that person is having. And that's why all the other points in the employee lifecycle are important too, right? That, that onboarding experience. Mm. Is incredibly important. Um, when you go out on leave and you return from leave, that experience can make or break your career and your experience with an organization. When you move into a management position from being an individual contributor, or you move into a leadership position from being a manager, all of these different transition points or, or important moments that matter in the employee life cycle happen Sometimes they coincide with with your pulse survey or your engagement survey, and, and sometimes they don't. Um, and one way is to really break out of the sleepwalking is to connect these touch points using what we call employee journey analytics. And you don't have to be a data scientist to do this with the right tools. You can you can do it on a platform and it'll run all the stats for you. But to say what specific experiences as part of that onboarding process predict whether that person is going to be engaged six months to a year later. What pieces of that engagement survey connect back to how well they're going to transition out and back from leave? And when they transition out and back from leave, what's the impact that that has for a manager on the engagement of their team or their internal or external customers, right? So the real power in a lot of this to move out of that sleepwalking happens when you're able to connect different data sources together so that you're able to get more actionable information from fewer surveys because rather than having one long survey where you're trying to boil the ocean yeah you can have lots of little miniature touch points that you can stitch together to create uh, a more accurate picture of what's happening and what needs to be done i think that's great and i think that 
those little frequent touch points build this ongoing narrative between the organization and employees rather than this kind of one stop census of opinion which you know oh like there's only 90 questions to go you're nearly there <laughs> you know, you know. Well, see, I, i'm still a big fan of the census survey right i think i think there's a place for it uh, but i i think it's about making that census survey quite a bit shorter uh, uh more frequent but not relying just on that, right? Yeah, Having other pieces as well. Yeah. I, I would absolutely agree with that. And I, my head's buzzing. I love that whole thing. And it's a simple thing for you guys to have thought through. But just thinking about where you go as an employee on your journey through different job roles, different responsibilities, because you could go from being all over and master of your craft in one position and suddenly you're kind of elevated to a new position. And you're you're in a state of flux, maybe a bit of turmoil. You're trying to get to grips with stuff. You don't feel as in control. Don't feel as the top of your game. Maybe it's a bit harder at work than it was before. All of a sudden, you could have been in the top percentile of engagement before, and in the next survey, you drop down because you know of all these other things that are going on. If that's not recognised within the nuances of the of, of measurement there's just a big change in in engagement right o- overall if if there's plenty of people going through that stuff that's really interesting to think out because organizations will just lurch from oh we're good at this and we're bad at this when really the context of what's actually going on with the individuals in their own employee journey is fascinating i mean that's yeah. another that's another podcast on its own yeah i mean that's why employee personas are so helpful right yeah. so so you know and they're they're much better at this in the the customer world um, and the, the product development world. But I think we as, as professionals and, and people in culture can adopt some of this, right? So a great example is a, um, an organization that's a, a cruise ship line that I work mm-hmm. with, right? Mm-hmm. So they have ship side employees, the folks that are actually working on the ships. And then they have shore side employees, the, the folks that are working in the corporate offices and marketing and HR and legal and IT and, and planning and strategizing roles. And the, the persona of the folks that want to, to join the organization to work on the ship and be part of the cast and crew and, 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 yeah. and live that life versus the folks that are working shoreside is a very different persona. And the employee journey is going to be different. And the things that motivate are going to be important for, for each of those personas is going to be different. Yeah. So the same way that you might think about your customer segments or your marketing segments, you're also going to want to think about your employee segments to, to, to your, to your point, right? A, a, a perfect score in one segment might be very different from another. And the things that are driving em, employee motivation and engagement and belonging and intent to say are going to be very different for those groups. So, so breaking out of that monolithic approach is, is uh, very, very valuable. So let's talk about breakout then. Let's talk about if we're thinking about the concept of this today of doing people analytics better, what's your rule of thumb for achieving that then, Kevin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I, I really like to simplify it, ra- radically simplify it um, so that, that any organization, regardless of your level of maturity, you can start to take action on, on feedback in a meaningful way. Uh, and it's as easy as ABC123. Okay. <laughs> So if, if, if you're hearing Jackson 5 playing <laughs> your, your mind's ear, uh, I apologize, but maybe it'll, it'll help you remember it, right? So um, ABC stands for action-oriented, business-relevant, and conversation-based. So, so for action-oriented, it, it really goes back to this idea of beginning with the end in mind. Mm-hmm. 
putting as much emphasis on the action taking as you do on the data collection. So from the, the questions that you ask on your survey, right? So uh, as an example, beautiful engagement questions like I am energized at work or I'm willing to go above and beyond in my role. Great questions, but they're all outcome oriented. You only want at max 10 to 15% of your questions to be outcome oriented. You want the vast majority, 50 to 70% of the questions that you collect from all your listening um, to be action oriented. We're the drivers, we're the things you can actually do. Mm-hmm. And then also make sure that the expectation from everybody at all level of the organization is that this is for taking action. This is for making decisions. This is for moving things forward. And also that shift in mindset away from score chasing uh, around, you know, this is a this is an ultimate determination of how good I'm doing and moving it into this is information that I'm going to use for the purpose of taking action. So that that's the first piece is just starting with with action orientation. Um, and then B is business relevant. So what are the ways that we can not think about this as just an HR thing or just a people analytics thing, but how can we think about this as an overall organizational and business thing? Not to say that employee experience and employee engagement aren't good goals to have in their own right, but also to say that, hey, you know, for for a, a frontline manager, they're not thinking about employee engagement. They're not thinking about employee experience. They're thinking about how am I going to do more with less because I just lost half my staff and I'm onboarding 10 new people today? How am I going to deal with this, this customer that's arguing with uh, this new employee because they won't accept their coupon. (laughs) So, so the more that we can make the conversation about those things, Oh, how do you retain your staff? How do you engage your customers? What are your actual business goals? Begin the conversation with that and then say, okay, how can this, employee experience data be used to help me move those goals forward. Um, You know, another great example is let's say you're a salesperson, sales manager, and you want to increase your sales for your team. You know, I think for a lot of sales managers, the the go-to action to take in that instance is to, you know, buy some sales training. But if you look at your employee engagement data and you see that the area of opportunity is actually related to tools and equipment, then maybe the answer isn't to provide more sales training. Maybe it's to update your CRM. Right. Yeah. <laughs> but if it comes back and learning and development is an area of concern, then maybe the way to, Im- to improve sales is actually to do some sales training. So, you know, be able to think with that data through the lens of, oh, how can I act on that? And then the last uh, uh, for the ABC component is C, which is conversation driven or conversation based. Uh, rather than than thinking of this as as information that you as a manager or you as a leadership or HR team are going to take uh, into the corner and run your own analyses behind the scenes and then and then come back and present like you've like you're you know walking down from Mount Sinai. This is the way. This is what we're going to do. It's actually having a conversation with your team around these are our scores. What might I do? What might we do collectively? What might you do in order to move the needle on these things? How can we have a conversation around it? And I'm not not saying have focus groups. I'm saying have a conversation (laughs) with your team around the scores in a non-confrontational way that allows you to to really unpack this and say, what does this mean for us? Um, What might it look like if we were to to, to really improve in this particular area? What are are the ways that we can share this responsibility to be able to move forward? So that's the the ABC component. 
And then one, two, three is about communication and, and, and narrowing your focus. So one means picking one area, one thing to work on. Don't try and boil the ocean. You know, we have this tendency to want to do all the things, mm. uh, but sometimes doing just one thing with a lot of enthusiasm and, and energy can, can take you a lot farther um, and, it, and it feels more manageable. Uh, and that's where the analytics can come in because the analytics will give you the gift of focus to say, hey, here's here's a couple of things that you might want to focus on. Choose one. And then two, do two things about it. You know, maybe you do one thing as a leader. Maybe you you enroll your team in doing another thing. And then three, communicate it three times through three different channels. Uh, because not everybody checks their email. Not everybody is fully present on, on team meetings. So think about the, the the different channels of communication that you might be able to communicate with people around what you're doing and do it at least three times. And in the a very simple format of we heard X, therefore we did Y. Brilliant. And, and that will go really, really far because oftentimes people are making a lot of changes as a result of this feedback, but the loop doesn't feel closed because employees can't always connect what's being done to why it was being done in a very simple way. I love that. I love the ABC one, two, three, and it links very nicely, almost completely to the final bit of this episode because we're running out of time already, which is ridiculous. And so I have this part in the show, Kevin, called Sticky Notes, right? It's where I ask you to try and summarize or give your pearls of wisdom on three little post-it notes that people could take away that we stick on the Instagram channel and people can kind of see. It may well be that ABC forms one sticky note and one, two, three forms another sticky note. But if you were to leave behind three sticky notes, what would they be, Kevin? Yeah. Um, so sticky note one, uh, I'll connect it back to the A. Yeah. Focus on the drivers and action-oriented questions. Sticky note two, we'll, we'll connect this back to the B. Start with the business goals before looking at the people analytics. And three stands for C, conversation. Go have a conversation with your team. <laughs> Beautifully simple. And what a world we would live in if everybody did that. It would be a mar marvelous place, wouldn't it? I think. I think so. Kevin, I've loved talking to you today. I mean, I could talk to data guys for hours and hours on this stuff because the minute you say one thing, which is a bit like data, something else comes up and springs in your mind and links to something else. And I think that is the whole joy of data. But I'm so grateful for you coming on today. I've really enjoyed talking to you. I'm sure my listeners will be as head buzzy as I am as a result of this. And uh, yeah, I just want to say thanks so much for coming on. Really appreciate it. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Thanks very much. You take care, my friend. You too. Okay, that was Kevin Campbell. And if you'd like to know a bit more about him or find out a bit more about some of the things we've talked about in today's show, please check out the show notes. So that concludes today's episode. I hope you've enjoyed it, found it interesting, and heard something maybe that will help you become a stickier, more successful business from the inside going forward. If you have, please like, comment and subscribe. It really helps. I'm Andy Gorham and you've been listening to the Sticky from the Inside podcast. Until next time, thanks for listening. <laughs>